0: Today, I would like to share a scripture from the book of Matthew, chapter 6. In the book of Matthew, chapter 6, for those that are students of the Bible, you would have noticed that God talks there about three spiritual disciplines that every Christian should have in his life. And those areas are the area of giving, the area of praying, and the area of fasting. See, the Lord says, not if you give, but when you give. The Lord says, not if you pray, but when you pray. He doesn't say when you fast, but, you know, if you fast, but when you fast. So if the Lord talks about those areas, we should practice them. they are disciplines in our life that would mold us into become the person that God wants us to become. So our sermon today will be titled "Doing Good to Please God," A Sincere Giving and a sincere Prayer." Out of those three, I will probably just focus on the first two, because for the sake of time, we probably will not be able to cover the fasting, but we're going to start with from the book of Matthew chapter 6, verse one. The Word of God says, "Take heed." That you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Father, we want to thank you for this precious time. Father, I would ask that in my weakness, you would be strong. Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would bless every hearing heart, every young person, every elderly, that you would bless us with your word. In the name of Christ, Lord, I pray. And everybody said. Amen. See, if you notice, this this is talking about godly giving. And God is giving us a warning when it comes to practicing these spiritual practices. But you might say, how can we be the light of the world if God wants us to do things not to be seen by men? If you're asking that question, that's a really good question because Matthew 6 is part of the Sermon of the Mount, He's explaining the Sermon on the Mount. If you remember the Sermon on the Mount, the most uh, famous sermon on the Bible, because Jesus himself preached it, where he talks about blessed are the poor, blessed are the humble, blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacemaker. You know, he goes through all those blessings. And after he's done with all those A-B attitudes, he talks and says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill. You are the salt of the earth. So those things are to be practiced in public. God is giving us a very practical mandate to say, now you go be the light. I told you what it takes to be blessed. Now you go and show this. And this is something you show in public. But what God was referring to there is things like mercy. You are supposed to practice mercy in public. Speaking the truth in love, those things you cannot do and not to be seen by men. You have to be seen by men. You know, those things, compassion, speaking the truth, those things you have to practice them in private, I mean, in public. But these practices that we are going to talk about here today, God is encouraging us to be done, that when they are done, they should be done in secret as much as possible, in private. So, God is going to now tell us how to properly give. Verse 2. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may have the glory for men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. See, a Jew can give two ways. Back then, in the first century. He could give in the synagogue, which was the the place of assembly. Or he could give in the street to a beggar. Those were the two ways he could give it. Jesus here is talking about not to give, but the spirit behind the giving when you do that act. The emphasis here is that giving should be done for the glory of God. That is the spirit here. Jesus here is teaching us that our giving... Is an act of worship. See, there was two sons of Adam and Eve. They too brought sacrifice to the altar. If you know, it was Abel. He brought an animal sacrifice, and Cain brought a cereal offering or one of produce. God loved one, but he despised the other. That's in Genesis chapter 4, verse 4 to 5. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. See, many say that the reason God received Abel's offering and not Cain's was because Abel brought a blood sacrifice. And, you know, that could be a very good case because the blood sacrifice symbolizes the blood in the cross of Jesus Christ. It looks forward to that. And we could argue for that. But we know from the book of Hebrews that it's not the reason why except God respected his, uh, his, his, his sacrifice. God made it very clear that grain offerings were and are perfectly acceptable to him. See, a hurts, man was expected to take animals from his herd and offer it as a sacrifice. And a farmer was supposed to take from his produce and take them to the Lord as a sacrifice. Because that was the fruit of their labor. We learned in the New Testament why Abel's offering was acceptable to God. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. That's Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. See. Hebrew says, Abel came in faith. Cain did not. In other words, Abel came with his heart. Cain came without his heart. It is the devotion of the heart that God is looking at. The one of the giver. See, Old Testament worship was communicated through the making of sacrifices. And these were to be sacrifices of praise, not sacrifices to inflate the ego. And that's what Cain was looking for. See, giver, uh, when we give and we make offerings, it's, it's, it, could, it could be a very novel activity. But it could also be very dangerous because when you don't put your heart in the right position, it could inflate your ego. It could be a cause for pride. See, A sacrifice not given from the heart was not offered in faith. Whatever reward God might give for the sacrifice would be with hell if it had not come from the heart. See, in this chapter, we're going to see God use the term hypocrisy a couple of times. So it's worthwhile taking a note of the definition. The term hypocrisy that occupies Jesus' attention in the gospel of Matthew comes from the ancient theater a hypocrite was a play actor in the theater and God is saying don't be like them don't be a play actor verse 3 and 4 but when you do a charitable deed do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing that your charitable deed may be in secret and your father who sees you in secret will himself reward you. See, I don't know if you know but it says that God himself will reward you. See, he will not delegate this activity to anybody. And that is why it's very important that we do it with the right heart and faith and with the right motivation. Because God is taking notes every time we give. Everybody say Rewards. The reward for the hypocrite is not much. Those who boast about their giving, those who parade their charitable deeds so that the whole world can see them, have received their reward. But their reward does not come from God. Those who practice public giving to be seen by others will receive the praise of men because that is what they're looking for. So that is their reward, which is worthless. From the point of view of heaven. See these people are like Cain. Who brought his gift. Not from faith. Not to glorify God. And serve God. But for his own glorification. For his own praise. See it was more important for Cain. To be seen given. Than to actually be a giver. If you give. You are the only one who should know it. But let me tell you something. You're not the only one who knows it. God knows it. He sees you. So you're never the only one who knows it. But you ought to try it. When you do it, you do it as private as possible. Because you want to do it with the right motive in your heart. Your father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. He will do it himself directly. Like I said, he will not delegate this activity to anybody. Your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. He will do it himself directly. He's not going to delegate that to somebody else. If you give in secret, your reward will be in the open, he says. If we give openly, we are to expect that God will reward us. But if we give so we can others can see us, we are not to expect a public acclamation from our Lord. See, the most marvelous thing about giving or charitable giving, it's that it is impossible. And let me tell you this: it is impossible for you to outgive the Lord. You will never outgive him more than he has given back to you. You will never do that. The reason why we give is because he first gave us. And this, this, this could be uh, in Matthew chapter 25, we see uh, how God portrays this. How he does not delegate what, when he will reward us. How he pays attention to what we do. Matthew chapter 25 talks about the goats and the sheep. How he's going to come back with his holy angels. He's going to sit in his holy throne. And he's going to set the sheep on one side and the goat in another. Which talks about that in the church, there's two groups of people. If you notice, when we talk about the story of Cain and Abel, it was two groups of people. Those that came in faith and those that came without faith. Those that came with their offering, but those that came with their offering in their heart. It was two different kinds of people. And here, in the book of Matthew, we're going to see that again. That in the church, there's two Different types of people. There's sheep, and then there's goats. There's two. Now, you guys say, you might say, Pastor, well, what if I'm a goat? You better become a sheep. As soon as possible. Do not delay. Do not think about it. Salvation is today. Yeah, give, him, give the Lord a praise. So Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 says this. Pay attention to this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right, if you notice, the right side. It's like saying the BIP area. And the goats on his left, the left, non-BIP area. You're sitting in the bleaches way up there. Way, way up there. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father. See, and isn't that... All we're looking forward to. See, this is why I do this. Because one day I look forward to be on the side of the sheep and hear from Jesus Christ, Come bless you of my Father in heaven. Because you have inherited the kingdom. This is all we're looking for. There's two different types of people in the church. We cannot prevent that. That's the reality. There's the wheat and there's the grass. You know, but see, The Word of God says that, why is the role that leads you to destruction? And many find it. But narrow is the role that leads to salvation. And very few find it. So since the Bible already says what the end of the story is, and it says there's very few, and we cannot change the math, we cannot change the formula. You better be sure you're one of the few. That's what we have to be sure. And this is why you come to church to hear pastor on every day, to get the word to God in you. So God can mold you to become that person that Christ wants you to become. Because you want to be called blessed of the Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Verse 35. And this is the reason why. See, God is taking notes. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer the Lord. If you guys notice there, God inserted a new adjective, the righteous. The sheep are the righteous, a foreign righteousness. This righteousness does not come from us. This is a foreign righteousness, the righteousness that we can only get when we put our trust in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. See, when you come to God, God doesn't see your sin. He sees Christ in you. You're still a sinner, but God sees the sacrifice of Christ, the one who never sinned. It's a foreign righteousness. And that's why he calls us the righteous. Will answer, Lord. When did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and we gave you something to drink? Question mark. When did we see you a stranger and invited you in? Or needing clothes and clothed you. When did we see you sick or in prison? And go visit you, and the king will reply, verse 40. Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters. See, the Lord's talking about you there. Any of these brothers and sisters of mine, of him, you did for me. You see that? You see why it's so important to do these things with the right heart? Because God is taking notes. See, the the, the general application here is that giving is a good thing. We give because God first gave to us. We give charitable. We give to the church. We give to others in need. And what this is also referring to is that when you see your brother in need, we as Christians cannot be blinded to that necessity that if God has blessed you, abundantly and God has blessed some more than others only God knows that God blesses some less God blesses some more God knows what you can handle if God would give some of you more you would be lost God knows what you can handle there's a lot of people I know that their money keeps them home I know them and most of the church runs not with people that have a lot of the wealth but Ordinary people that are faithful. See, God is taking notes. So if you have been blessed, you don't close to the need of others. And God just told you, when you did it for one of the least of my brothers and sisters, you did it for me. So you never know when you're helping somebody who you're helping. And obviously, this is talking about the membership. This is talking about the brothers and sisters of the church, a truly brother and sister, you know, that he's maybe going through a need, and God moves you to help them in some way, some capacity. It doesn't have necessarily with money. It could be your time. It could be your advice. There's many ways you could give to somebody, you know, and God looks at you. See, the most marvelous thing about charitable giving is that it is impossible, like I said, to outgive the Lord. You will never be able to outgive the rewards He has for you because He's taking notes. You will never outgive Him. See, the other interesting part about this is that God is not really talking about the size of your gift here, He hasn't talked about a quantity. God is not looking at the size of your giving, but He is paying attention to the heart. He is looking at the heart. See, in Mark, in Mark, the book of Mark, chapter 12, verse 41, you see the offering of the widow. Verse 41, Jesus sat down the opposite place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in Two very small copper coins, worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all of the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything. All she had to live on. See, it's not the size that God is concerned. He's concerned with your heart. He's concerned with faithfulness. It's not the size. There's not a gift I could bring here to the Lord and impress him. He's the owner of everything. Gold and silver belong to him. I mean, the streets of Jerusalem, you find gold in the streets. That's where you walk on. That is what's prepared for those who love Him. That city. See, the biggest charitable gift that I once heard that somebody gave was Warren Buffett about fifty-one billion dollars that he gifted. His most of his fortune, as you know, he's one of the richest investors in the U.S. But not seeking here to be politically correct. The biggest charitable gift. Has not never been given by a human being. It hasn't. God is the biggest charitable giver. Heaven is the biggest charitable giver. For God so loved the world that He gave. He gave. Did I say he gave not a charitable gift? His only son, that whoever shall believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Our God is the biggest donator in history, and He didn't give out all His wealth, His money. He gave the only thing He had. He gave His son. He gave his very best for us. You will never out give our Lord. This is why we give, because we have been blessed already. We are blessed and highly favored by the Lord. This is why we give. It conforms us to Christ himself. It tells God, God, I depend on you and not on my wealth. Not on what I can do. And it's not, I'm not saying that it's bad to have money, Be have well. As long as you recognize it is the Lord who gives you the strength to build riches. As long as you understand that, and there's a balance required, and God has blessed many people, and they are generous because God has blessed them. And this is what we seek to do. You see why it's so important, the giving part? It's not the size that matters, but the heart. You come in faith, you come privately. You don't come, you know, cherishing, doing a parade, look how much I'm going to give. You don't, you don't take a selfie in front of the homeless, see how giver I am. You don't do that kind of stuff. But this is the stuff we like doing. And God is taking notes. He's saying, you have received your reward in full. But it's not coming from me." And this is why these things are so important for us to practice. That giving, it's a spiritual Practice of the heart that conforms us to Christ himself as he gave. He did nothing but giving when he came to to this world. Imagine God himself. He put a human suit. He sweat like us. He ate like us. If if his people required baptism, he got baptized. If his people required to go to trials, he went through trials. If if his people became despised, he became despised. He came to give of himself. He's very best. He is the biggest charitable giver. And this is why we practice that giving. Everybody say sincere prayer. Now we're going to go to the part about what God says how to pray. Matthew chapter 6 verse 5 and on says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. There's that word again. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your room. Oh, by the way, that word room, I read it, means uh, storage. In Spanish is almacen. I think I'm translating it the right way. Storage. But not any storage. Storage where you store treasures. Go into your room. That room has treasures waiting for you. Your prayer room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray... Do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. See, in this passage, Jesus tells us how to pray. And then he gives us how we ought to pray. He told us how to give. Now he's going to go on the part okay, this is now how you give. I want you to give properly. I want you to pray properly. Jesus just talked about the act of giving. It should be in secret in order to honor God rather than giving openly to receive the praise from men. He now carries this motif farther, explaining that to make A display of our prayer before the eyes of the world is not something God is encouraging here. Everybody said private piety. As we saw early, hypocrisy has a devastating impact on the life of the church and on the representation of Christianity to a dying world. We have a dying world out there. So God said, do not be like that. I need you to be the real thing. I need you to be sheep. I need you to be blessed by my father. Verse 5. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love. Notice the word. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. And you can already guess that the Lord's talking here about the Pharisees. See, the Pharisees were very religious people. The Pharisees were people that knew their Bible upside down. They knew every term. They studied day and night. They gave their tithing. They were very religious, but they they missed it here. Because God is saying, you know, they give you good teaching, but do not practice what they do. Do not be like that. See, the solution here is not to stop praying. No, no, no. We need to pray. The life of the Christian is a praying life should be verse 6 and 7. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. See, many prayers have become repetition prayers. Their use is magical incantations. It's like, you know, they treat God as a blank check. God sign me a check. And that is not what prayer is. In this manner, we have to pray, in the, pray that, in the in the way that God is teaching us. See, Jesus did not instruct us that we have to use these very same words, but we have to use this prayer, which is the Lord's Prayer, as a model, as a map. A model prayer. We should have things in our prayer life that are model after the Lord's prayer. That, this is why the Lord said, pray this way. I mean, this. If you, if you wanted to have a coach in prayer, you know, we always want a coach in our life when we want to exceed in something. If you want to play golf, you get a coach. You know, if you want to learn how to do something, you get a coach. If you want to learn how to spar, how to wrestle, you get a coach. If you were to have a coach for your prayer life, here it is. Jesus himself is telling you, this is the way you should pray. This is the way I pray. Jesus did not instruct us to use vain words. In the Lord's prayer, Jesus has given us an outline, a model of prayer that suggests us things that we should have in our prayer life. See, it is not wrong to sing or to pray the Lord's prayer. It has a rich history in the church. It is the most simple Simplest prayer that even a a child can understand. But it's so deep in meaning that till this day, books are written about it. So whenever we approach that prayer, we we have to realize that those are the priorities of the kingdom. Whenever you hear someone recite the Lord's Prayer, we are reminded of the priorities set by Jesus Christ for us to pray about. However, praying the Lord's Prayer can also become a mindless, like I said, a vain repetition, a magic incantation. That's what the pagans do. They just repeat things. So when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we need to pray it thoughtfully. We have to think about the words we're saying. Giving attention to the content of the prayer so that we can see why Jesus includes them as he does us in teaching us how to pray. See, verse 8 says, Therefore, do not be like them, for your father knows the things you have need on um, before you ask him. What time are we done with this service? I want to be sure I don't go over the time. 10, 10? So I'm done. 12, you sure? Okay. I want to, I want to be faithful with the time. Pastor Arnold told me, 45 minutes, and then I I don't want to... He was there for two hours, you know. Okay. 1020. Okay, we should be done at 1020. Okay. Okay. Psalm 139 says... See, because this is the only thing I'm going to cover about the Lord's Prayer, but the, the radical thing about the Lord's Prayer is that when Jesus told... The disciples, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. This is what the disciples did. Because you were not to take the name of the Lord in vain. So they were so fearful to mention his name. Yet Jesus here is saying, when you refer to him, refer him as my Father. Our Father. This was a wild introduction. See, you cannot repeat they, the Jew grew up with. And do not take his name in vain. Don't even, don't even, do even repeat it. That was why the book of Matthew says mentions heaven a lot of times because they're sensitive to the Jew, to that culture, to those customs. They wanted to reach them, and you, you see why why heaven is mentioned so much instead of his name. And yet, God is telling his Jesus, is telling his disciple, you can refer him. as our Father. And this is radical for them. I can call God my father? Yes, you can. And you know what that tells us? That when you have a father, you have a relationship with him. See, God is the one who sees, who hears. When Moses was encountered by God in the burning bush experience, God confronted Moses and said, You will go deliver my people, Moses, because I have seen I have heard their affliction. See this? This is a personal God who sees, who hears. He's not private from our affliction. This is not a king that is, you know, ruling from his palace. He is within. He is in the middle of his people. He lives with his people. This is a father you can trust. This is a father you can trust. And as a father, you come to him knowing you have a relationship. See, when John F. Kennedy was alive, the president that obviously got assassinated, see, many dignitaries were afraid to walk into his office. Any, any, any secretary, any person, any official was afraid to walk into his office unannounced. This is the president of the highest office in the world. Yet, you can see pictures of John F. Kennedy working on his desk, and his son will be hanging on the bottom of the desk. Why? He's not the president. He's my father. That's how you can come to your father. As a child comes to his father, knowing he will not be rejected, give him praise and glory. And when you know you have a father like that, you can say what the psalmist says. When you're going through crisis, when you're going through problems, you know that the Christian life is not a perfect life. As a matter of fact, when I became a Christian, I had more problems. Yeah, <laughs> yeah let's give him praise. This is the reality. This is not our home. We are just residents here. We are U.S., not U.S., we are citizens of another country, a heavenly kingdom. We are just here. We're just residents. But when you know that your father in heaven is there for you, you can cry out like the psalm says, where will my heart come from? My heart will come from the Lord, creator of heaven and earth. He will not let you be overcome by evil. He will not let your foot be stone on the slope. You can trust in him. See, if we ascend into heaven, this is what the book, this is what David said. See, when you come to to, to God, God says, before you you talk to me, I already know what you're going to say. Before you even think it, I already know what you're thinking. Then why we pray, Roberto? The reason why we pray is because we need it. God doesn't need it. We need it. We need to be conformed to Christ. See, we are the ones confused. God is not confused. We are the ones confused. We need direction in our life. God doesn't need direction in our life. See, when, when, uh, when Job was asking, why, Lord? Why this? Why am I suffering? Why? He was telling, and he was, he was really suffering. He could, he, if there was somebody that could question, God it would be this guy. And he said, why, God? Why God this? And, and, and God got tired. He said, let me ask you something. Can you make water? Were you there when I was setting the foundation of this world? Tell me if you can. Who is this person that darkens my counsel? See, there's a lot of things we don't understand, but we can trust that our Heavenly Father is making the right decisions for our own good. We can trust in that Heavenly Father. See, David said, when I come into his presence, in Psalm 139, for there is not a word of my tongue, but behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I did ascend into the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. See, Jesus is just simply seconding that affirmation that he says that the Lord knows what you need before you ask him. He knows what you're going through before you even tell him. See, some people might ask if, we, if he knows why. He wants to hear from you. You want to hear from your sons and daughters. You already know their needs, but you want to hear them. You can come to this heavenly father because he has a relationship with you. He knows you already. He formed you in your mother's womb. That's what he did. So he knows you. And as a father, you can trust him. A father protects. A father provides. A father guides. A father teaches you. See, I was blessed to have an earthly father. God gave me an earthly father. That's how kind God is. But sometimes for some people, the word father could be cruel because they did not have a father in their life. Boy, let me tell you something. God is a father to the fatherless. He is a husband to the widow. He has a relationship with you. And he loves you. So you can come to this father and know that he hears you. He cares for you. I'm going to end with this story because of the sake of time. See, our God really loves us. And like I said, that relationship is based on that fatherly love and that relationship. There was a young guy that he asked his dad, Dad gave me my inheritance. See, he could not wait for his father to die. He wanted his money now. Usually we get an inheritance from our parents. When they pass away, this young guy, he said, I want it now, Lord. And the father gave it to him. As you know, this is the story of the prodigal son. He then left to a faraway country. Why did he leave to a faraway country? Because, see, we always run away from the people that know us. We don't want the pastor to see us. We don't want Sister Sally to see us. We will go, run. We will go far because nobody knows us. And there he spent his money while he living a life of immorality. Well, his money ran down. It is a very cruel thing to give money to somebody that doesn't know how to handle it. And obviously he wasted his money, and he ended up getting a job taking care of pigs. This is a Jew. This is a young boy. He will start not to touch pig not to eat pig and now he's taking care of them and he comes to himself but see when you come to yourself you don't come to yourself by yourself you come to yourself because god makes you come to yourself he recognized and he said how many of my father's servant are well treated and here i am and he says i will come to my father I will tell him I have sinned against my Lord and against him. When you sin against somebody, you you sin against the Lord. And when you sin against the Lord, you sin against people. See, this is called real repentance. This is called a real conversion. And he decides to take action. And he starts walking back home. And the father, he comes out every day. Maybe his son will come back. Maybe he'll see him into the distance. Is he he there now? And one afternoon he comes out. And the father sees that. He sees this young boy coming down with his head down. And he starts thinking about the fact, might that be my son? And as you know, as a parent, you can recognize your son. You know how he walks. You know how he combs his hair. You know how you can recognize him in the multitude of people. And, he, and it says here that the father starts running towards the son, not the son towards the father. The, the reason why this is so important is because, see, fathers don't run, patriarchs don't run. The man of the family was that Tory figure, yet the father, not thinking about those prodigals, he runs towards the son. He embraces him, he loves him. And he says, Father, forgive me. I have sinned against heaven, and I have sinned against you. And what does the Father say? He doesn't say, I told you. So. He doesn't say nothing. He says, I don't want to hear it. We thought you were lost. You were found. We thought you were dead. You are alive. And you know what he said next? Bring him new clothes. Put him new shoes. Bring the ring. The ring that signifies that he's a member of this family. And we will eat and we will celebrate because my son was dead and now he's alive. The love of the father. You can come to that father in prayer. You can come to him in your secret place and know that the father would never reject you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for your love and your kindness, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this spiritual Practices, the spiritual disciplines that you have given us, Lord. The spiritual uh, discipline of giving, the spiritual discipline of praying that conforms us into the person of Christ. Oh, bless Korean Christian Fellowship, Lord. Bless them, Lord. Bless every young person. Bless the elderly. May we become like you, my Lord. Father, as we go out, I pray that you will bless this community. Bless us as they go in and they come back. Bless them in the city. Bless them in the field as they come in, as they go out every that they everything that they touch, may it be blessed, Lord. In the name of Christ, our Lord and our Savior Jesus. I pray and everybody said, Amen. May God bless you, crayon Christian fellowship. Have a great day.